Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimore Ons, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello and happy Veterans Day, Baltimoreans. I hope you hugged a veteran today. You probably should have. In fact, uh, go hug one now. Um, we'll wait. We will wait. Great. In the absence of a veteran, I hugged my cat. <laughs> I hugged Nick Markovich today. <laughs> I, I would like to send out an audio hug yeah. to Nick Markovich. And to uh, everyone who has taken the time to uh, render service to this great country um, in a in a serious and, and thoughtful sort of a way, we do really actually uh, appreciate that and honor that. Somebody, uh, somebody, I heard somebody say recently, and I thought it was um, uh, really smart, politics is complicated. Gratitude isn't. Word. Um, and that's a message that I think we as a country lost the last time we had a war in Vietnam. Indeed we did. Um, Indeed we did. I think we're getting it back. You know, I would. I do think... Uh, boy, we've just gone quite political right at the top of the show, but who among you <laughs> is surprised? surprised? Um, you know, say what you will about the Afghanistan conflict... Mm. And about the Iraq conflict. <laughs> no, well, don't, because <laughs> okay. we have a whole other podcast right. to record. But um, say what you will about those conflicts. I do think, by and large, as a country, the way that we, with some exceptions, the way that we have, uh, regardless of political stripe, um, professed gratitude to the young men and women who have voluntarily gone to serve in those wars is an improvement from situations in the past like Vietnam. Absolutely. Can I I Absolutely. could try to be more wishy-washy in that statement. <laughs> no, no, I think it's but, an I think it's a uh, an improvement, but I think it's also a night and day improvement. It isn't just a gradient thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh sharing our love of the Baltimore Orioles even if not necessarily our political persuasion uh is the rest of the Baltimore Sports Support Network, which we are a proud <laughs> proud member of. <laughs> BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network. You can find us and all of the other fine programs, uh, which we refer to as our sister wife podcasts. Um, but, you know, leading the entire Baltimore Sports Report Network, at least in terms of product uh, 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 productivity, yes, we are number one with 72 episodes. This um, being big number 72. We're out, we're out in front. Uh, yeah. And here we are staking uh, again with a new Baltimore Sports Report Network record, which we set every week. <laughs> um, here we are on episode 72 By of the way, Baltimoreans. If people want to know why we took two weeks of October off, we yeah. just want to let the other guys catch up a little bit. Right. We're, That's I all mean, it was. we're just we're, we're trying to throw them a bone. Magnanimous individuals <laughs> on the mics in Hootenanny Studios here tonight. But here we are at episode 72. Which is one of those magical episodes, because the number 72 lines up with all sorts of things in the natural world. Um, the human body, for example, is 72% water, hmm. uh, unless you are a Philadelphia Phillies fan, in which case it is 70% water and 2% beer. <laughs> 72 is the average resting number of heartbeats per minute. Assuming no one average has been to Boog's Barbecue in the last 48 hours. <laughs> and 72 is the number of hours that it will take for us to uh, give up on our starting rotation, 
once the uh, regular season begins again <laughs> in the 2014 year. We're, we're going to go 72 hours this year? Yeah. Yeah? It's about, yeah. about right. Because it was a fun 36 <laughs> this year. That's true. But, uh, you know, why not live a little larger? 72 is the number of wins achieved by the Chicago Bulls um, in their record 1996 season. Um, the Chicago Bulls went 72-10 and 10 that Aye. year, good for uh, an 878 winning percentage. Now, 878 as a winning percentage is just so astronomically high that if you look at baseball by comparison, that would mean winning about 142 games in the regular season. 142? 142 games so- in the regular season. And basically going 142 and about 20. Yeah. Uh, the best t- team in the modern era has won 116 games. So a full 26 games off the pace set by the Chicago Bulls. Step it up. Um, Seattle Mariners of 19... No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 99. Seven. Seven. Very close. Very ah. close. Um, as a historical note... The 1880 White Stockings um, got as close as anyone Uh, has ever gotten. Remember it well. Remember it well. (laughs) Where, uh, if we project their record out over the games that are now played, they went somewhere close to 129 and 33. Ah. Um, You had a you had a shorter season then because because of of the reconstruction. (laughs) And and whatnot. In fact, they were still playing in stockings. Um, 72 is the sum of four consecutive prime numbers. Um, Obviously. A fact which is almost as useless as B-warp, which is calculated for pitchers' career um, as the um, wins above replacement player for batting and fielding for a pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh Care to guess who has the highest B-warp of all time? Oh. Uh, yeah, I do care to guess. Okay. Because it's Zach Greinke. It's, uh, as a, over the course of a career. Over the, okay, a okay. cumulative B-warp. I thought you just meant 2013. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know I have these things memorized, Alan. <laughs> I have no idea. Greg Maddox. Really? Has the highest career B-warp of all time. Oh, I should have gotten that. Well, I should have gotten hit that. hit the ball. Um, I I should have I pre- I feel pretty bad about it. He myself. has a career B warp of twenty four point five. Wow. Um, which means over the course of his career, he was twenty four and a half games better than a replacement pitcher at hitting and fielding. Now, do you uh, do you add the B warp onto the regular warp? Uh, well, no. The B warp is for pitchers, as it turns out, a. Uh, a subsection of the overall warp. Oh, okay. So you've got your B warp and your P warp. Mm, okay. <laughs> so you put your B warp and your P warp together. together and you have an overall uh, career. It's I think it's called a C warp, but I'm not sure. I may have made that up. A C- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would at this point make a our usual joke about not understanding these metrics, but I do understand them. I just think that they're really stupid. <laughs> Um, 72 is the designation number of the Russian tank that was widely produced after World War II. The T-72 um, weighs in at about 41 tons, meaning that the T-72 comes in above Chris Christie, but behind Prince Fielder in my new metric of EAR. 
ear or explosiveness against replacement player. You thought I was going to make a fat joke, but I've done you one better. You have. You have, and I feel shallow. (laughs) Um, No jokes for a second. Uh, On this day in history, 72 hours ago, um, a super typhoon hit the Philippines. Uh, Lots and lots and lots of people have been killed, and it is yet another terrifying um, storm of unmatched size, fury, and destructive power, um, and it uh, appears to come in a political climate where we still don't have any collective sense of doing something to uh, change the <clears throat> the ecological climate in which those are happening. Um, so uh, hearts and prayers go out to the people who are in the Philippines and, um, you know, baseball. Yeah. But and also, like, <laughs> let's think for a second about the fact that uh, you know we, um, what is the? Well, I'll just say the unkind word. We shit a national brick when Hurricane Sandy hit, and that was terrible, and that did a lot of awful things. This is Hurricane Sandy times fifteen, at least a thousand. <laughs> yeah. So, text Red Cross. Yeah, absolutely. So pitching. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw the news, Alan, but we've hired Dom Chitty as our new bullpen coach. He'll be working with Dave Wallace, who is the new pitching coach. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought our pitching staff was chitty enough already. <laughs> hey! <sighs> Been waiting all day to say that. I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> if only there were a New York Post of Baltimore. <laughs> Is there is there Baltimore Sports Report people who actually live in Baltimore? What's the what's the rag paper? The raggiest yeah. like crap paper. What do you, what do you use basically to line your rabbit's cage? <laughs> um, you all have pet rabbits, I assume. <laughs> I mean, as good Balt- sons and daughters of Baltimore, we assume that you do. Yeah, uh, I don't have much to say about Dom Don Dom 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 Chitty in particular. Um, that's interesting. I think he's probably Italian, but when you say Dom Chitty, it kind of sounds like he's Indian. Oh. Has there ever been an Indian bullpen coach? I don't even have to look that up. <laughs> almost almost 100% no. Well, you know, one day, one day uh, we'll have civil rights in this country. <laughs> uh, basically, I think it's exciting for us to have as many people affiliated with the Atlanta Braves involved with training our pitchers as possible. <laughs> I support any and all efforts to do that, and I, I think we should continue. I'm going to put forward that the bullpen coach of a major league sports franchise is going to be in the last five of the civil rights barriers that fall in this country ever. <laughs> last five. and that the... We will have solved everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Literally everything else. Uh, basically, uh, the, the chitty hiring basically got me thinking about this conversation that we also often, who, this conversation that we often have on this show about, uh, whether or not the Orioles need an ace. Ah. Um, and I think I'm coming around to the idea that maybe they don't need an ace. Um, and I'd like to walk you through how I, how I came to this conclusion. Take three peyote buttons. (laughs) (laughs) A <laughs> one stirp, a heat of ooh ha, bing twelve. Um, 
which is how you would say one step ahead of you if you had, in fact, ingested three peyote buttons. Take it from me, I, I've never ingested peyote buttons. I am far too terrified of danger to do that. But that kind of conservative approach, and I, I'm amazed I made a segue out of this. There you go. Is exactly what I would like to see from the Wallace Chitty administration okay. out there in uh, just beyond the center field wall at <laughs> Oriole Park. Um, I, I would like to... Uh, I, I did a quick comparison today, Alan, uh, of pitchers in the American League who are certifiable aces. Now, I defined a certifiable ace by um, saying this is a pitcher who is worth uh, five wins or more uh, based on the metric used by BaseballReference.com. Okay? So right. guys who are worth uh, five wins or more generally... Um, according to um, according to baseballreference.com, are like all-star caliber performers. So th- was where was Chris Tillman on this number last year? Well, I'm gonna we're gonna oh, get to we're that. We're gonna get to that. All right. Uh, so in the National League West, how many by this metric aces do you think there are? In the National League West. Yeah. Two. There Three? are four. Four. Okay. If I was to tell you that two of them pitch for the same team which team would you guess that to be this is the american league west american league west i okay, said so national league west did. didn't i you did i meant american league west in the american league west two of them uh, pitch for the same team i would i have no idea who they are the seattle mariners oh really felix hernandez oh right and hisashi iwakuma Oh, right. Iwakuma had a really good first three quarters of a season. Uh, he was worth seven wins Holy last year. Holy cow. Felix Hernandez at 5.2. Holy cow. The other two aces in the American League West, Bart Colon and Yu Darvish. Mm. In the American League Central, three aces. Again, All on the same team? Two of them are on the same team, which I think you've probably already guessed. Scherzer and Verlander? Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez. Sanchez, right. You know who was worth more wins than either of them? <sighs> I don't. Chris Sale of the Chicago oh, White Sox. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Would you like to know? He won a lot of 1-0 games. He I mean... did. He did. And had no offensive support. <laughs> At all. Would you like to know how many certifiable aces there are in the American League East? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Zero. And of the number one starters in the American League East, would you like to know who was worth the most wins this season? I would say David Price, but it was not. It was not. Huh. It was Chris Tillman. Huh. Chris Tillman was worth 4.3 wins this season. Wow. Um, I'm sorry, 4.4. Okay. Next closest was Buckholtz with 4.3. Uh-huh. Um, I think Buckholtz maybe would have gotten there if he'd pitched all year. Yes, pro- probably. Possibly. Possibly. So the reason that I bring this up is that I feel like we tend to feel like we have two options this offseason, right? Bring in a big bat via trade or free agent signing or bring in a lights-out number one starting pitcher. And what I think these numbers reveal is that we actually don't need 
an ace. We don't need a lockdown number one pitcher who's worth five to seven wins. But we need someone else in the four, four and a half wins range. Exactly. That's what we need. Okay. Because, I so mean, look at the Red Sox. Of them? I have an exhaustive list of candidates. <laughs> But I think this is really okay. interesting. Okay. I mean, I think this yeah, yeah, really yeah. speaks to the degree to which uh, ace pitchers can be overvalued uh, and the degree to which we can say, we're one pitcher away, we're one pitcher away, um, and rush into doing what somebody, hopefully not us, is going to do and sign Irvin Santana for to a $100 million contract. Oh, God. We don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's not something we need to do. Um now, all of this th- this thinking for me was prompted today by the headline on MLB Trade Rumors saying that the Orioles are interested in Tim Hudson. Ah. Tim Hudson would be an ideal candidate. I would love it if we signed Tim Hudson. Two-year deal. Two-year deal. Two-year deal. Perfect. Gets you through until Gossman and Bundy are ready. Uh, he is available. Free agent. Hiroki Kuroda. Free might agent. Might be going back to Japan. Might be going back to Japan. He just turned on the Yankees' offer today, right? Yes. Great. Yes. But I think that's because he wants a multi-year deal from them. Oh, I mean, I've heard that he wants to go back to Japan. Yeah. And maybe even retire. Great. Um, <laughs> Bye-bye. Ma- Matt Garza, mm. who we have talked about to at great length previously. Indeed. Dan Heron. Mm. Ricky Nolasco. Mm. And here's one that's really going to make your head itch. Roy Halladay, free agent. Now, I don't know what I don't know what contract you give Roy Halladay. Good Lord, neither do I. But Roy Halladay has been a five-win pitcher many times. If he tumbles down the mountain a little bit to 3-7, 3-8, that's, that's okay. I, gosh, I don't know. He, he, uh, he. He kind of looks like there's nothing left in the tank. <laughs> yeah, I mean it would be it would be quite a gamble. I'd feel much safer going Tim Hudson if you're going to make that kind of signing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's Halliday has a sort of a uh, a Vlad Guerrero feel to me. <laughs> a whisper of the Vlad. Yeah, just a just a touch of the Vlad. Uh, and then actually, uh, for your consideration as a trade, uh huh. Um, I wanted to float C.J. Wilson. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Uh, I think the Angels, mm-hmm. uh, the Angels have a host of problems that they are trying to solve. Yes, they've committed stupid amounts of money to stupid amounts of stupid players. Yes, uh, Wilson has three years left on his deal. He's 32. He's left-handed. He's thrown 200 innings five years in a row. Strikes guys out. Yeah, very no, I durable. Think, I think he'd be. A, I think he'd be a good pickup. Big time competitor. I like him in a Tim Hudson signing. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to go? You want to go, you want to go. Yeah, let's do it. You want to go for it. Let's do it. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe put Bud Norris in there as part of the deal, you know? Sure. Yeah. He 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 could actually be a viable trade trip. Trade chip. He could. Yeah. Yeah, he's not terrible. Um, so, so that I think is very interesting to me is that we, we this, this move that we talk about for upgrading the, st- the starting pitching staff, it doesn't have to be the Cliff Lee trade. It doesn't have to be... The, um, you know, it doesn't have to be the, uh, the, the like Darvish-esque discovery on the international market. It just needs to be a solid guy who's going to make 32 starts, who's going to pitch 200 innings, 
who's going to keep his ERA under four, who's not going to give up too many home runs, and who's going to grind it out. Yeah, I mean that all all of this all of this sounds good. Uh, I think it's that then though you what you have to do is you have to um, up instead of upgrading one spot, you have to upgrade a couple. Because I think that a couple of our pitchers have been so far down that ladder, or the you know the fourth and fifth spots in our rotation, whoever is filling them, have sure. been so far down that ladder that they're in the negatives on that rating scale. Yeah. So you need to sort of get two. I think you do have to get two, but you also can look at it as uh, you have Bud Norris for the full season, you have Scott Feldman. Uh, well, well, I'm sorry. If you assuming we, if resign, we resign Scott, Scott Feldman. Feldman. Uh, Feldman could be this type of pitcher for us. Um, and then all of a sudden, and, and let's assume that Tillman has found his true level. Yeah. He may get better, but let's assume he's found his true level. Um, then you've, you've actually already got three. Uh huh. Uh, then you have between Wei Yin Chen and Miguel Gonzalez, you probably have a, a, a four win season. Okay. Um, and then you get the fifth. And then you get the fifth. And you just take Jason Hamill outside and beat him with a hose. (laughs) All right. Well, in uh, other breaking news, um, uh, besides um, Mr. Chitty, um, we uh, just learned today that the Atlanta Braves are seeking a new home uh, in the year 2017. We did? We did. They have officially uh, told Turner Field they are not renewing their lease. So Turner Field, built in 1995 for the uh, Olympics, 96, I'm sorry, 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, will now uh, no longer hold a professional team. Um, and the Braves have signed a uh, uh, intent to inhabit a $672 million, 42,000-seat stadium about <sighs> 10 miles from where Turner Field currently sits. But, but, hold on. Is this, is this, because <laughs> I, I, I did not see this news today. Yep. And it, it, it is, it is breaking today, uh, and it will be after the 2016 season. So there are three seasons left in Turner Field. And you know what's fucked up about that? Is they're <laughs> going to spend the next three seasons bludgeoning Braves fans with the, like, amazing memories at Turner Field. The stadium is not even old enough to, to, <laughs> to drink legally. <laughs> That's true. That's or true. smoke in the city of or New York. Or smoke in city in the near, in city of New York. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and, uh, what I find, uh, b- maybe even, even, even more shocking than that is that the entire Atlanta school budget for 2012-2013 was oh, $574 million. Oh, come on. So, we don't yet know what percentage of the six, $672 million will be picked up by the taxpayer. Um, we do know... That the delightful um, Atlanta Falcons new stadium, also set to open in 2017, cost 1.2 bill. So right now, um, the Atlanta Greater Atlanta sports uh, uh, taxpayers are on the on on the hook for about two billion dollars towards sports arenas to be opened in 2017. Do the Braves think that 
the they can't win a World Series just because the stadium isn't right? <laughs> like, do, do they think that the reason they always choke in the playoffs has something to do with the stadium? I think because I think that they might think that. That's not it, guys. I think that they I think they may have gotten a collective sports psychologist, and they may have done a lot of sort of like um, internal dialogue, and then what we call. Um, um, Oh fuck! Forget the forget the word. Dissociated? No, no, no. When you when you when you blame an external thing, when you uh, oh scapegoat, scapegoating, right? They collectively scapegoated something. Yeah. They decided it was Turner Field. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 general manager of the or the the dude who they rolled out for the press release. I don't even remember who it was. Mm-hmm. Said that uh, they couldn't do uh the sort of state of the art. If they spend $150 million, which is what they wanted to spend to get Turner Field back up to being state-of-the-art... It already is state-of-the-art. It wouldn't have changed the parking problems. 1996? <laughs> 1996. Is not that long ago. Uh, by contrast, the Grand Coliseum of Rome <laughs> was built in 70 AD. <laughs> I want to point out that that was in use as a sports coliseum until the early Middle Ages, um, when it then became a home for um, people to live in, uh, a stone quarry, and a place to keep slaves. Mm. Um, not suggesting that we do any of those things, but uh, I, I, I do want to suggest that even though it is low on luxury boxes and its big screen scoreboard is a little bit small, the Roman Colosseum suggests that 20 years is a fucking ridiculous amount of time for a planned obsolescence of a stadium. It is absurd. That is absolutely we spending, absurd. We are spending too much money and investing too much public capital in these things for them to be intent to no, no longer exist in 20 years. Yeah. Well, and what, what's gonna, what is going to be the environmental cost of tearing this place down? What are you going to do with the grounds after it's gone? Are you going to build a school? No. Not enough money in the budget. <laughs> Yeah, not enough money in the budget, and and as we have you know tracked many many times on this program, the uh, actual economic benefit for the city of Atlanta is usually negligent. Yeah, um, and negligible. Excuse me. The Atlanta Falcons are selling um, the licenses to buy season tickets, which is not even a season ticket. Right. They're selling a license to have the right to buy a season ticket. Um, which is going to effectively, uh, once you have the license, you can keep it for the rest of your life or sell it. Right. Assuming the team doesn't leave, um, which you have no guarantee of at all. No. But uh, the... In which case it becomes worthless. worthless. Um, but, the, you know, that will jack up season ticket prices for them by the thousands next year. Um, and, and the whole... Um, the, <laughs> the whole idea that we are now designing architecture to not last... And to not be some great place that you can keep going to and not be a place that you remember taking your kids to and that not designed. That we're not even designing these things. We're designing them to be exactly how we design our coffee cups and our food storage. We're designed they're designed to be disposable. Yeah. They're designed to be really glitzy and really nice when they hit the market and then dingy after fifteen years so that you can make a case that they need to buy build a new one. That you just hit on an amazing point too, that like there, there is an entire subset of Braves fans who will have grown up going to Turner Field, and before they have a chance, before they're even old enough to reproduce and make <laughs> children who they could then take to Turner Field to perpetuate the legacy, which is theoretically the reason you build a baseball stadium, attention Braves front office, Right, it's not going to be possible for them. So I hope that we see, when we see the plans for this new stadium, that they have uh, thought out 
why this particular stadium will last for 120 years yeah and that it is ecologically designed and that it is looking forward to where new technology will be and what new seating needs will be and what new television needs will be and that it will be designed to take all of that into effect because shit we have some smart people and they could probably figure that out yeah i don't think that they will no i don't but, think so and of, of all the places where this weight should be felt I mean, baseball stadiums are one of the last vestiges of, 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 this is going to sound like I'm taking it way too far, but of like <laughs> real, it's a civic gathering space. Yeah. It's where people who don't know each other congregate responsibly and respectfully, except in Atlanta, because <laughs> those people are maniacs, um, to, to enjoy a live event that, like, in 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 harmony and union with their fellow citizens. Yep. Like when does that, when does that happen anymore? People don't go to movie theaters anymore. Nope. You know, people people don't people don't go to libraries anymore. Baseball stadiums occupy an increasingly special space, and the idea that we are building them to be disposable is ludicrous. And here's ludicrous. the other thing: we aren't even building them to be disposable. I think if we looked at the way that Turner Field was built and the way that Chase Field and all these new stadiums have been built, they're they're probably being built according to the most advanced technological specifications that we can think of. (laughs) There's nothing structurally wrong with Turner Field. Yeah, but there's a dollar in building a better one, so that's what's going to happen. And in relicensing and re-luxury boxing and sort of doing all of the newest tricks of the trade that weren't around in 1987 financially, even if architecturally it's the same thing. And where are we on the changing the horribly racist name of Atlanta's baseball team plan? Nowhere? Great. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, well, I just heard um, I just heard a, a petition to go along with the petition to change the Washington professional sports franchise, football franchise, from the uh, to the red skin potatoes, which I really like, um, but also the red clouds. Which is, I think, a nice compromise because Red Cloud was, in fact, a uh, uh, a Native American leader mm-hmm. of a similar <clears throat> time frame to when that particular phrase was probably in use. Yep. Um, but was actually a real dude. Yeah. And Red Cloud is kind of a cool name. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine was suggesting the other day changing it to the Potomacs. Oh, that's uh, nice. because that's the name of an actual tribe. Yeah. Except that that still, to me, doesn't solve the root question, which is. Would you be happy with a team called the Washington Jews? No. <laughs> or the Washington Chinamen. <laughs> you wouldn't. It's weird to yeah. name a, spo- a sports team after a race of people. Yeah. That's is, a weird thing to do. It is a weird thing to do. So we should just not do it. <laughs> there is that option, but and, that seems rash. <laughs> and the idea, like, the idea that pe- people are trying to have credible conversations where they're like, well, what if we just watered down the racism a little bit? <laughs> It's like, no. We'll take it down to a seven. <laughs> yeah. How about if we just don't name sports teams after r- r- ethnicities? That's very weird. It is weird. It's an extremely strange thing to do. Even if no one was being hurt by it or like there was no sort of like, it's just it's just odd. It's very odd. It's odd. We, and could, we could name them the Washington Borg. Sure. <laughs> the Washington Klingon. That I'm okay with. Can I tell you my the entry I would like to make? Yes. I think they should change their name to the Supreme. Mm. The Washington Supreme. That's nice. It'd be a little bit more soccery. Yeah. Uh, you know, soccer tends to like uh, right have one of those concepts. More, those more yeah diffuse concepts. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, like Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you could call the cheerleaders the Supremes. We could call them the Fighting Lincolns. That also fine. Actually, that's an even better idea. <laughs> Smith? Yes. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the blog posts uh, wherein the episode is published on BaltimoreSportsReport.com, right. I've been referring to our voicemail box as the Scotty D. Intern Memorial Voicemail Box. Oh, no. Now, nothing has happened to Scotty. Right. But for all uh, on-the-air intents and purposes, yeah. he might as well be dead because we have not featured his segment in many a moon. Sure, sure. Well, that was the that was the whole thing with his mom, and then you know he had to he had to be out west for a while. Uh, he was laying low because he he uh, he was accused, um, I think unfairly, in a couple of things um, that haven't yet come to trial, so we're not at liberty to talk about them. But you know, he's he's right now. He's giving us that that gesture, you know, that people make where they like <laughs> run their hand across their throat, like stop talking about it. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Checks the facts. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Check him out, y'all. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Checks the facts. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Okay. 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 All right. Calm down. Calm down. Um, the thing is, Alan, we made we made a mistake in last week's uh, broadcast. And uh oh. And Scotty's not happy about it. Uh-oh. I know neither of us is going to be happy about it. But I think we can get through this. Okay. This is the mistake that we made. In referring to a time period that we have referred to in a number of ways, the dark period, the sad times, <laughs> um, the, the era of trouble. Um, <laughs> the big dig. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Depression. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the opposite of the enlightenment is <laughs> the dark ages <laughs> the dark ages yeah uh specifically mm-hmm. we're talking about the period of time when the orioles experienced 14 consecutive losing seasons um wasn't it 15 uh 2012 would have been the 15th oh but oh okay carry we, on we skirted we skirted, <laughs> skirted that. that disaster uh unfortunately we referred to that period as two, 1995 to 2011. Uh, that is not correct. Hmm. Um, it And nobody's going to be surprised by the fact that we got the math wrong. Uh, <laughs> That's a 16-year period. The wrong number of years. <laughs> but it also... was actually a very good year. Baltimoreans regrets the error. Um, 1995 was actually not that good a year. Oh, no? And that, but it was also not that bad a year. Okay. And that brings me to the reason I'm happy that we made this mistake, because it, it raises something that I feel like Orioles fans are a little too prone to forgetting, oh. uh, which is that on this podcast, at least, we tend to think of the Orioles of somewhat of our lifetime vintage uh, in a very binary sense. We think of the 14 consecutive losing seasons, and we think of the last two years. <laughs> yeah. And we're or, like, or the before times, which was Cal Ripken at all. Right. Exactly. And we think, that was awful, now things are great. Yes. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, the early 90s Orioles were a very interesting team. Yeah. 
because they weren't good and they weren't bad. They were just like weird. Huh. Is is the best word that I can come up with for it. Um, and I think we should all like take a second. So just to summarize, the the 1995 Orioles finished 71 and 73. Okay. Um, which is roughly the same winning percentage that the Orioles had in 92, 93, and 94. These really? were uh, 84 win teams. What about the team that Jeter did? That uh, Jeter hit the home run that wasn't the home run against. Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Okay, so that yeah. was that was when they were good. Yeah, ninety-six and ninety-seven. Okay, was when ninety-six was the wild card. Ninety-seven was pole the to pole. pole to pole, um, and then the dark times. Right. Uh, but I wanted us to just <laughs> just take a minute a minute to remember when it was really hard to actually to know how to feel about the Orioles because right now. We're excited about the Orioles, and with good reason. At this point, right. nobody denies the fact that the Orioles are an exciting, very young team with a lot of up, upside potential, right. and that we were in competition for a playoff spot until the last month of the season this year. Uh, last year, obviously, we don't have to rehash how exciting that team was. Um, 1995, I'd like to share some memories with you Okay. from the 1995 Baltimore Orioles. This is the kind of stuff we used to, we used to just scratch our heads and try to feel okay about <laughs> 13 and 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 sorry i don't mean that in the same way that i usually mean that in the sense that we had to be like why do i pay attention to this we had to pay attention to this because it sort of worked yeah and we had to be like why is this working right. i don't understand it's not good enough but it's it's not terrible 13 starts by a gentleman you may remember named rick krivda nope <laughs> 22 saves from Mr. Doug Jones. Wow. I do remember Doug Jones. Yeah. Uh, we had one outfielder who appeared in more than 100 games. Really? Brady Anderson. He was the only one? Yeah. Gosh. Jeffrey Hammonds and Curtis Goodwin, little injury prone. Oh, yeah. Who are they, you may ask? <laughs> I remember Jeffrey Hammonds. I remember Jeffrey Hammonds. Um... One of the many reasons that we should be excited to have uh, Manny Machado playing third base. Do you know who held down third base in 1995? I, I do not. Big Jeff Manto. Who? <laughs> big Jeff Manto. Yeah. No, that's a big that's yeah. a big swing and a miss for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, 68 plate appearances from Andy Van Slyke. <laughs> And He's still a punchline. <laughs> 263 plate appearances from your friend and mine, Robert Bonilla. Wow. Now, a couple interesting things there. Huh. One, I didn't know that we were running out the uh, early 90s Pittsburgh Pirates ghost squad <laughs> <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Uh, also, we got those 263 plate appearances from Bobby Bonilla at a cost of 5.3 million dollars which according to the bureau of labor statistics is 8.1 million in 2013 dollars wow so so that's something something to the tune of two hundred thousand dollars in that bet <laughs> i I'm, most of which were strikeouts yeah <laughs> i mean well actually uh i don't have the numbers right in front of me but he actually the numbers he put up in those 263 plate appearances weren't awful think he got on base 39 percent of the time or so uh and he hit like 302 but 
that's um what a third of a season <laughs> yeah if that at eight eight million dollars so I, you know not a whole lot to say here i just think it's important to remember that <laughs> there was a time when it wasn't so black and white it was just like mystifying <laughs> They were the best of times, they were the worst of times, and then there was the other times. And there was the other times. That's, that is perfect, Alan. <laughs> that is a perfect way of putting it. The early 90s were the other times. <laughs> the other times that don't fit nicely in any yeah. of your categories. Cal Ripken had a decent season in 1995. Not a yeah. good season. No. Not a bad season. No. It was fine. He <laughs> like 260. Yeah. He had uh, 17 home runs. I think he drove in 80. Yeah. It's fine. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. It's uh, sort of like what J.J. Hardy did if you... Tracked 40 points off his batting average. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Yes. Well, to conclude tonight's program, yes, we bring you a special... Uh, commentary mm. on a cross-sport um, situation that has been developing in the news recently. Um, a lot of ink has been spilled in the last 24 hours over the Jonathan Martin, Richie Incognito um, kerfuffle that has been going on down in the city of Miami. And uh, <clears throat> I will not go into the details of the situation as we know them, because we don't know all that much yet and still. Um, and I will leave it to smarter people than I to analyze the dynamics of an NFL locker room, the racial implications of the things at play, or the realities of how much money both of these people are being paid to act like frat boys. But uh, it does – the experience of being bullied in a sports setting is one that holds a certain amount of personal – Um, empathy for me because in my second of two years attending a summer basketball um, over the summer basketball training camp which was supposed to be uh, I believe a week and a half in duration um, for whatever reason uh, and I think much could be written and thought about about why this was but for whatever reason about four hours into this summer camp it became abundantly clear that I was the um, the kicking boy or the scapegoat for this um, maybe a hundred kids summer basketball experience. wasn't because I was the worst player. Uh, I certainly was not in the top half, but I certainly wasn't at the bottom. And it wasn't because um, I think I did particularly anything to stand out earlier or often or anything at all, particularly except for that I was next door to two guys who both came from New York City and were both sort of uh, intent on proving themselves as masters of the universe um, in which they uh, over which they saw. And they, uh, over the next four or five days, made my life really, really hard. Um, no one would sit next to me or talk to me because if so doing would taint them with the same brush that I was being um, painted with. Uh, the, 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 the worst charge that can be leveled by a bunch of 14 and 15 year old guys is that you're gay, which was the charge that was labeled against me early. Um, so people would sort of uh, 
kick me or hit me as I went by and things and just call me a faggot and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the thing that I particularly empathize with in this whole discussion that is happening around Jonathan Martin is how it seems that he was reacting to being sort of abused, which was show up every day and really try to get his abusers to like him and really sort of put out this sort of like, oh, yeah, I can laugh along with the jokes and, oh, yeah, like I'm cool with this, guys. And if I can just get these two guys who are giving me the most shit to like me, then everyone else will see that I'm an okay dude and the tide will turn. Um, and what happened to me was that I had a very similar experience to Jonathan Martin, which was, I guess, our uh, day, day five out of this seven or eight day experience. I was like, this is too much. I'm not having fun. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. This sucks. And I called my mommy and she came to drove Charlottesville and picked me up and took me to Bodo's Bagels where I got an amazing bagel and, uh, I remember sort of sitting there in a daze of sort of like walking out of that experience. I walked out at a time which was walking past um, uh, uh, the entire camp. So the entire camp had this roll call in the morning. Where we all came outside of our dorms, which were UVA dorms. And we all stood outside and like everyone looked at us. And that's when my mom came. So for whatever reason, like I had to walk sort of past every single person in this camp Um and sort of like with, with all my stuff in the duffel bag on my back and like just walked slowly with my head down past every single person. And remember like looking at people and seeing the mixture of embarrassment and pity and disgust and sort of all of those things on people's faces and uh, feeling as though <clears throat> the process of um, trying to be liked by them was – a really stupid thing to have tried to do. <laughs> Just sort of was, when I was walking out, I remember looking at all these people and being like, that was like, what was I thinking? Like, the, look at the, like, look at these fucking assholes. Like, they're, they're, what, what was I, what was I, what was I thinking about doing that? Um, and I think that that is a very, uh, I don't know Jonathan Martin. Um, if, if you read about him on paper, he seems to profile somewhat similarly to me except for if I were an athlete. <laughs> um, but, you know, he was raised by people who were very intellectual. He went to a school where he was taught that thinking was important. He was probably taught that, you know, violence is not the first answer to these sorts of things, which if you're an NFL linebacker is probably the wrong thing to be taught because you seem to have to actually want to hurt people to play that sport well. Um, and I have a lot of empathy for what it must have been like to sort of show up at work every day in this sort of unique sports testosterone-driven environment in which you think that if you play along and you sort of get ingratiated with the head bullier that you're going to end up being okay, and it just doesn't, doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, and you think about, like, how the, the level that he achieved yeah. by pursuing that. I mean, it's not easy to become a no. linebacker in the NFL. No. And he rode that philosophy all the way to the top. Yeah. And still realized exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, and and I don't I don't for a minute suspect that um most locker rooms are like that, even in even in the NFL. And I don't for a minute suspect that most of the guys at that basketball camp were bad people. Um I I really don't. And and I remember a couple of the older guys who were like there was two tiers and there was an older tier and a younger tier and I was in the younger tier and I remember a couple of the older guy tiers who were like trying to stick up for me and like would come and cheer and and like you know so it it wasn't it it's never it's never a stark thing 
but uh, I, I do think that the power of one or two people to sway a group um, and for everybody else to just think like, I know that sucks, but like whatever, they're not targeting me and it's not my problem. Like not, not my thing. Not, I don't, I don't want to say anything because saying something will end up making my life significantly less fun <laughs> uh, is, you know, it's a real, real thing. And it sucked. It's a real thing, folks. So I hope that Jonathan Martin um, manages, if he wants, to return to an NFL team. I hope it's not the Dolphins, and I hope he's having a good week off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will tell you, I felt fucking amazing as soon as I got in that car. Like, I remember, like, walking out and, like, you know, tearing up a little bit and feeling really shitty. And then I got in the car and, like, closed the door. And it immediately, like, instantly became, like, a dream. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, a thing that was, like, in the past and far away from me and didn't feel real as soon as I got away from it at all. Yeah. Um, and then I felt great. That's the thing about sports, right? Is yeah. it can feel so <laughs> all-consuming and dominating of every fiber of your being. I mean, I mean even when we're talking about being a sports fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Then it's the off season, and you're like, "Oh, look, there's a lot more." Yeah, <laughs> a lot of other stuff to do. Perhaps the most fitting note we've ever ended this show on, Alan Smith. There you go. There you go. All right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in as always, and uh, please, uh, you know, maybe you have, I don't know, similar experiences to the one Alan just shared. Um, send them to us, Baltimore Ons Podcast at gmail.com. You can also call us nine oh nine Rib Wars. Um, it would be sort of exhausting to tweet a personal um, story along those lines, but if you want to try, at <laughs> uh, be morons. Yeah, and in particular, I guess, you know, I- I'm interested hearing Alan talk about this. Did you have this experience on a sports field, and are you still a sports fan? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Because, you know, Alan obviously is, as yep. you yep. <laughs> Have found out for 72 episodes. And um, someone who continued, for whatever reason, to want to play sports as well after that. Although, never basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. We'll leave that one to your therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Music on the show, ladies and gentlemen. As always, the theme music by Marshall York. The interstitial music, Weather Report. The song is Birdland. Weather Report is the band. I don't think I've ever said it right, and I have no plans to. (laughs) Why start now? <laughs> Here on the outro, it's kicking my heart around by the Black Crows. And thanks, as always, for tuning in. See you next week. Stop kicking my heart around. Well, I told you so. Now it's time to go. Got to get my show on the road. Just stop. Kicking my heart. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>